Now, John Wesley is called the founder of the Methodist movement, which became the Methodist Church. He was an Anglican priest, born in the 1700s, and was part of the Church of England, but he wanted renewal, spiritual renewal. Now, he didn't start off understanding all of this. He was all in. He was a systems person. He had a lot of methods. He was part of the establishment, and so he followed the rules. But some things happened along the way that changed his life. He kept a journal. He kept a diary. And John Reynolds, in 1828, lifted out a portion of those journals and included in a book he wrote, The Anecdotes of Reverend John Wesley. I was reading that the other day, and I thought, wow, I need to hear this. Wesley, when he was a student at Oxford, so this would be his early days, before really it took hold, this spiritual renewal that became the Methodist movement. He was in his dorm one evening at Christ College, and there was a knock on the door, and it was a porter. Somebody would help carry things in and out, make deliveries, but this porter was standing there with something he needed to deal with, with uh, Mr. Wesley, and it was a really cold night, and Wesley noticed that the guy had a real thin coat on. And perhaps sarcastically, Wesley said, is that the best coat you have? You need a warmer one. The porter said, well, this is the only coat I have in the world, and I thank God for it. Wesley asked him if he had eaten, and the man replied, I've had nothing today but a drink of spring water, and I thank God for that. At this point, Wesley's growing uneasy. He's not comfortable with this conversation. And he reminded the porter that the headmaster would lock him out if he didn't soon return to his quarters. He kind of wanted the guy to go away because he was really discomforted by what he was saying. He said, and if you get locked out, then what will you have to thank God for? I will thank him, replied the porter, that I have dry stones to lie upon. It's not raining. I'll lay outside, find a stone to lay on. At this point, Wesley was convicted. His heart was deeply moved by the man's sincerity. And he said, you thank God that you have nothing to wear, nothing to eat, and no bed to lie on. I cannot see what you have to thank God for. So the man replied, I thank God that he has given me life and being and a heart to love him and a desire to serve him. Well, the man left Wesley's dorm with a new warmer coat, with some money for food, and words of appreciation for his living testimony. But here's what Wesley wrote after the man left. I shall never forget that porter. He convinced me that there is something in religion to which I am a stranger. I think Wesley would agree that too many in this world would find aspects of our faith, our religion, to be strange to us. I think the world is constantly pulling us away so that the things that God wants to be central, to be foundational to our lives, tend to quickly become strange. It's happening. I'll be honest with you. You can see it out there. Some, it's evident in the way they have changed the gospel, perhaps manipulated it. The witness of Scripture, they're I will say this, I think there are some that are reinterpreting the word of God through a mal-focused lens. 
And sometimes that lens is a lens of greed and self-importance. The things that Jesus preached us to run away from. Jesus would find the misuse of God's word to be a strange, dangerous religion. So we're beginning a new series today. And, and you can talk about this in many aspects, but we kind of need to look at our world. We need to take another look at it. The series we're preaching over this week and the next three weeks is entitled Jesus and the Lorax. That's a strange title, isn't it? Of course, the Lorax is a character in a Dr. Seuss book. It has the same title, the Lorax. The Lorax has a simple role. He is to speak for the trees, to speak for beauty, and for the balance of creation. If you read the book, if you watch the movie, you'll see the Lorax doing that. He's this little orange guy who has this big yellow mustache and eyebrows. He's just unique, but he has one job. He is an advocate for the things that are good. That's exactly the role the psalmist plays in some of the psalms. He's speaking for God's goodness. Let me read you one of those places, Psalm 65, verse 1. By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, the one who by his strength established the mountains being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of the waves, the tumult of the people so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. Think about that sunrise and that sunset. What a beautiful way to express that. You visit the earth, you water it, you greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, and so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers, and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness overflow and the hills gird themselves with joy. The mountains clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and they sing together for joy. This psalmist has a lot to say about creation. He tells us in a different place that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. In other words, everything you see out there, creation, it's a gift. But it's not just a gift because with that gift comes a responsibility because from the very beginning of creation, we are told to be stewards of this gift. Genesis 1.26 says, God said, let us make man, we would say people, people in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heaven, over the livestock, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So what does dominion mean to you? When you hear that word, what comes to mind? For some, dominion implies control, having power. Maybe exploitation for one's own gain and pleasure. I get it before they get it. You might think of a kingdom or an absolute ruler who thinks of nothing, of standing on the backs of those he gets to dominate, and he can achieve greater glory, authenticity as a ruler. Some see dominion that way. But I want you to pay attention because if you read the Bible, you'll see that dominion in the biblical text in Scripture is never intended for selfish or personal gain. 
For example, in Scripture, God is described as having ultimate dominion. I mean, we may have dominion, but God is the final arbiter of dominion over all of humanity, over all of creation. But what you learn is that God never exploits that power, that dominion for personal gain. If anything, it is the exact opposite. He empties himself, Paul tells us in the letter to the Philippians. He takes on the form of a servant. If you read scripture, what you see is not a dominating God, but a God who loves, who blesses, who enriches our lives, provides for us. That's the dominion God is talking about that we're to have over the earth. But the problem is, when it comes to creation, the world around us, we sometimes have our own plan. We see an opportunity, and sometimes we work it to the destruction of all that's around us. And that's contradictory to God's plan. It's not my opinion. It's contradictory to what God elucidates and shares with us in Scripture. So here's this book. Jesus, well, the Lorax. And Dr. Seuss points to a problem. And the problem, as I mentioned earlier, often takes the form of greed. Plainly put, he says, greed will destroy. Now, Jesus also warns about this in Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters because you're either hate one and love the other or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. In other words, each one of us must choose God or greed. You're going to serve something. And even not thinking about it ends up being a choice. We're told that we cannot serve God and destroy God's creation. That's a different way of looking at it. You can't destroy what God gave to us as a gift and say that you love the Lord. It doesn't work that way. Scripture reminds us that we can see God's love and care and grace through the natural world. I just read you that text. By your strength you establish the mountains, writes the psalmist. You provide people with grain. You water its furrows abundantly, settling the ridges, softening it with showers, Blessing its growth. You could see God in those words. Intimately interacting with all that depend on life. The dynamics of God's creation is intricate. To me, it's sort of like the conductor of an orchestra. Creation is the symphony. And God is conducting this. And then sometimes we jump in with our own instrument going our own way, and it sounds awful. We have these beautiful harmonies. Somebody's out of tune. Somebody's playing disparate notes. Somebody's not even keeping the timing. If we misuse God's creation, then it's out of step with the conductor, with God. So the story of the Lorax that we're going to take four weeks to look at is akin, it's very much like a parable that you would find in Scripture. It reminds us that our greed and our misuse of God's gift, the gift over which we have dominion, is oppositional to God's plan. Jesus would say it is sin. It is wrong. Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann looks at the Psalms, and I find this always helpful, in three categories. He said you will find Psalms of orientation, Psalms of disorientation, 
and psalms of reorientation. And they speak to our various experiences in life. Now, psalms of orientation, we like those. We're drawn to them. They speak of times when life is all good. Everything's great. They're cheerful. They're full of abundant praise for God. Even just that God is God. These are the make a joyful noise, all the earth kind of psalms. But there are other psalms. For instance, those psalms of disorientation. They talk about those times when life is out of whack. It's not working. And we're not happy. And we're fearful. And we're upset. Psalm 65 reminds us that if creation is out of sync, then we need to seek God's balance, that is, reorientation. We need to get right with God, as some would say. We need to remember that God has called us to be stewards, not greedy. So in the Lorax, in a wonderful way, through a book written for children, I'm one of those children, We're reminded not to be greedy because greed causes disorientation with God's created order. When we exploit the world over which God has given us dominion, we are creating an imbalance which is contrary to God's plan. When God created, God declared that creation is good. But when that creation is misused, when it's exploited, then I think we don't need to look any farther than in a mirror. So beginning today, and for the next three weeks, we're going to look at the parable of the Lorax as a reminder that God has given us the gift of creation and that we are to have a caring, loving, life-affirming dominion over that creation. I think it's going to be challenging for us. Honestly, I do. But if we're willing to confess our disorientation, then we can see that God is calling us to reorientation with the world. And remember, disorientation often starts small with one simple act. I want to show you a clip from the movie about the Lorax, the last movie that was made. And you can read the book and you'll see this theme again. But... It starts off really good, then one small thing happens, and you're going to discover over the next few weeks, it gets worse. So watch this. Whoa. This is the most beautiful place, okay, I have ever seen. All right, here we go. About to make a need, about to change the world.
Well, the main character in that scene is called Wunzler. He's the one who chopped down the tree. Wunzler starts small. He chops down one tree to make a seed, whatever that is. But you can check it out. He decides if one is good, more is better. And you're going to watch through this series how that beauty is lost. Because greed kicks in. Now, this isn't just about a Dr. Seuss book. I hope you know that. This is about remembering who God called us to be. God has given us dominion over this beautiful creation. The mountains, the seas, the valleys, the forests, the plains, the beauty of the birds, of the insects, of the animals, each other. And sometimes we lose perspective. That malfocused lens of greed takes over. And we wonder what is going on. How are we losing this beauty? So each of us has to decide what it means to be a steward of God's creation. See, God trusted us with this. God created, but then he said, you're to have dominion over this. He didn't say destroy it. He shows us what it means to have dominion by loving us and giving fully of himself. The choice is ours. How we treat this gift says a lot about what we think about God. As a rabbi, an eloquent writer, Joshua Heschel, he once said, our goal should be to live life in radical amazement. I love that. Just be radically amazed at everything you see. He goes on to say, do this. Get up every morning and look at the world in a way that takes nothing for granted. Everything is phenomenal. Everything is incredible. Never treat life casually. To be spiritual is to be amazed. What a great way to live. But each of us has to decide when we get up if we're going to do that. For God does not intend for us to lose the benefits of God's creation. God intended for creation to be a blessing For it to be good. So if we can find that creation is not good, then perhaps we need to go back and listen again to the voice of the Lorax. Let's pray. Lord, you see something in us that sometimes we fail to see. Because you give us such incredibly good, wonderful gifts. You gave us the world. Forgive us, Lord, if we've misused it. But help us to reorient ourselves, to establish that balance again with your creation that we can have dominion in the way that you intended. And help us to begin in a simple way, to draw close to you. 
to experience your grace once again so that we will never forget who we are, whose we are, and what we are called to be and do in this creation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The scriptures are there for life. They intend for us to be able to sync ourselves with how God has called us to live. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. And so we have the scriptures to help us find that deep well of rich love to be drawn close to God. Part of that comes with responsibility towards the creation that God has given us. So I want you to think this week, what do I need to do to be in sync, to be oriented with God's plan and gift for me to be a steward over this creation? Brothers and sisters, go now in peace and go in love. Amen.